What's up? Welcome to another episode of Reason to Doubt, your source for all things skeptical. I'm Jordan, and I'll be running solo today. Jared won't be with me, but today I'll be joined virtually by a gentleman uh, named Brian Holdsworth. He is a Catholic apologist, and he thinks that the universal experience of morality is the best argument for God's existence. So I'm going to tell everyone why he's wrong. Uh, before we get to that, of course, as always, we have a fallacy for you. Today's fallacy of the day is the appeal to consequences fallacy. So this is an informal fallacy. And basically it says that if something were false or if it were true, it would lead to things I don't like. Therefore, it's not. Kind of takes the form of if P is true, then Q will happen. But Q is icky. Therefore, P is false. Uh, some examples of this might be if there's no afterlife, then people who did bad things in life will get away with it. They won't have to pay. Uh, and that would just be awful. Therefore, there has to be an afterlife. So obviously, I shouldn't have to say this, but the universe is under no obligation to be the way that we would like it to be. Uh, just because we would like something to be a certain way doesn't mean it's going to be that way. And uh, you have to be careful. This kind of, kind of plays into confirmation bias and things like that. Um, on the other side, though, you have to be careful not to throw this out if the preference is relevant to the thing being questioned. So, for instance, we should go to this restaurant because I like that restaurant. You know, therefore, should, we should do it. The, the preference is material to the thing being examined. Or perhaps... Um, the objective you have is to make people feel better. And so a better outcome is the objective. If it's basically material, materially relevant, then you can use uh, your preference. But otherwise, that would be an appeal to consequences. So with that fallacy out of the way, let's get into the uh, best argument ever for God's existence. Like I said, Brian is a Catholic apologist, um, and he... This is just to be clear, this isn't like uh, atheists can't be moral or y'all just want to sin kind of thing. This is more arguing that like the basic idea that there is morality requires a God. So his style is personal uh, and kind of folksy, which is a little hard to clip. I've got timestamps. Hopefully I can get the worst of his rambling out. The video is roughly divided into two parts. So the first part. Uh, talks about like objective morality and how that requires a God. And the second part kind of talks about how it's um, incompatible with naturalism. So let's start with the first part. And if uh, the audio is too loud or too soft, uh, please let me know. All right. So here's moment of truth. Let me know if you guys can't hear it. By setting the stage between two alternatives and to emphasize that you can't have it both ways, which is what too many of us try to get away with. The first option says that the physical universe with its cosmos, planets, living things, matter, and the physical laws that govern those things is all that there is. And so that any intellectual inquiry into truth or what is real should be limited to the scope of the physical sciences. So let me pull that out so you're not blinded by that. Uh, so... First point this dichotomy is setting up is going to be the foundation of his entire point after this. If the universe, the natural universe is all there is, uh, then he's saying that the physical sciences, which I take to mean like the scientific method, physics, whatever, uh, is the only valid way to examine things. And right off the bat, uh, we have I, I throw a flag out on that because even if naturalism is true, that doesn't mean that every single question is vulnerable in practical sense, in a practical sense, to um, 
to the scientific method. Doesn't mean you can put it in a lab. So philosophy could still give us, uh, okay, good. The uh, audio is good. Awesome. Thanks. Jared won't have to chastise me later. So uh, just if, even if naturalism is true, it doesn't mean that every single question is vulnerable to the scientific method. Uh, there could still be questions that even if they could hypothetically have a a scientific question, perhaps if the universe is deterministic and we were Laplace's demon and knew every single motion of every single atom, uh, in real, realistically, we're not going to ever have that kind of precision, right? So even under a naturalistic assumption, the physical sciences are not all that we can use. And that's going to be important later. Let's go on to the second part of his uh, dichotomy. The second option acknowledges the physical universe and everything I just described, but it broadens the scope of reality to include that which exceeds the physical universe and its fixed laws. And it recognizes that we have many experiences that indicate that there are, there is far more than those fixed laws. So just so the economy on the one side, natural universe, we need the physical sciences. On the other side, if there's more to that than the natural, something that transcends it, uh, then that would be evidence of a god, or at least something outside of the natural, right? So now he's going to dive into the universality of the moral experience. Start exploring those two options. Consider the fact that every human society that we have records for, every civilization has nurtured some sort of moral code of behavior. And in uh, well, many cases, like the entire developed world of today, those societies recognize the most critical aspects of that moral code in laws that inflicted punitive measures on anyone who transgressed that moral code. So he's appealing to the fact that all humans have some kind of moral sense to show that morality is universal. And he has a point in that all humans do in fact, or I won't say all humans, but all societies have some kind of sense of right or wrong. This is a very common tactic that apologists will take. They'll, uh, Frank Turek is usually will say something like, uh, you don't, everyone agrees that torturing babies for fun is bad or whatever. Uh, unfortunately, it's not quite as black and white as that, right? Like while everyone agrees that maybe torturing babies for wrong is bad, uh, there's a lot of disagreement on the particulars. And if you get down into the weeds, things get super fuzzy really quick. And sometimes even if you don't get that far in the weeds, right? Like for example, slavery was considered okay for most of human history. And if you're on Twitter, uh, it's considered okay right now by several Christians that I could name. Uh, and that's not cool, but I think slavery is extremely bad, right? So even though we have this uh, moral experience in that we all have a sense of right or wrong. Uh, clearly, it's not the same for everyone. Now, to be fair to his point, that doesn't necessarily mean there isn't uh, like an objective standard that we are somehow sensing it. Perhaps uh, we are sensing it, we're perceiving it, we're just really bad at it. So like there is some kind, just like I can see my computer screen, there is some moral rod or radio thing in my head and I can like divine moral sense, but I'm just not good at doing that. So maybe that's why we come to different conclusions. That could be true, but then it kind of becomes unfalsifiable. Like if having an objective standard that we just can't perceive is functionally the same as not having one, you know, why is it a useful model? Um, but more fundamentally, uh, this seems to be exactly what we'd expect on naturalism, <clears throat> at least for a group of evolved apes like ourselves. So it makes sense uh, that a social species would evolve norms and rules 
of right and wrong that would keep them from routinely slaughtering each other or, you know, stealing too much or things like that. That would, that would stop them from working together. And so it's clear to see how uh, the uh, the process of evolution could get us to where we are, where we have some kind of general agreement on what's right or wrong. But when you get down in the weeds, it's kind of imprecise because evolution is kind of imprecise, right? Now, that's not to say that that is necessarily can't happen under a supernatural scheme like he's uh, suggesting, but certainly God could have instilled us with a perfect sense of right or wrong. There's no need for that to be flawed. Um, we could know what evil is and still choose it if we wanted, but we would just know perfectly as soon as, boom, we decided to do something. We know whether it's evil. That is something that theism could have provided us, but clearly it didn't. Uh, so let's move on and skip a little bit of exposition here and we'll move on to his next point. That is just a way of describing what you or I happen to prefer, then we would never have grounds to say that someone else should behave according to those preferences. We could never hold someone else accountable for their behavior because in order to do so, you have to concede that there is something objective and something neutral outside and apart from our preferences that mediates between us so that I can hold you accountable and you can hold me accountable when either of us mistreats the other. And no matter so I cut him off a little bit there at the beginning. He started off by saying, if good and bad is just, uh, and then he goes on from there. So it's not exactly clear what his argument is here. Uh, is it, it, it's not clear if it's like an argument from consequence, like we talked about at the top, um, where if morality was not based in, uh, super, of, it was not of supernatural origin, we'd have no basis on which to enforce right or wrong, and I don't like that, therefore morality is of a supernatural origin, that might be what he's saying. But to steal Manum, to be as charitable as possible, he might just be saying something like, if morality doesn't have a supernatural origin, there'd be no basis on which to, to make these statements of right or wrong, but we do have such a basis, therefore uh, morality is of supernatural origin. Um, so this makes the assumption that morality cannot be objective unless it is supernatural, right? Um, in philosophy, uh, these are called like moral realism versus moral anti-realism, um, where morality can be real or objective is what he's using. Um, but that doesn't necessarily require the supernatural either, which he's kind of assuming he's equating these two, where if morality is real, that must mean that there is something outside of nature that is dictating that. But we could say, depending on how we thought of morality, that it was real. Uh, for instance, if we defined morality in terms of goals, if we had the goal of, say, uh, human flourishing, so we're going to increase uh, the flourishing of humans or the flourishing of peoples, perhaps, on Earth, then within the context of that goal, we can say if any action supports that goal. If it supports that objective, it's good. And if it doesn't, it's wrong. And then it, it's sort, sort of how like in chess, you can say it is wrong to move a rook diagonally. It's not like there's some cosmic standard of chess, but we've all agreed on the goal of playing chess a certain way. And so if you're going to play chess that way, these this is how you act, right? Um, so in the context of a goal, you could make objective statements. Now, the objection to this that he might raise would be, well, that goal is just a preference, right? Like you sure your actions maybe are not um are not completely arbitrary or subjective but what goal you choose is uh is subjective and to that i'd have to say i mean kind of yeah i mean we, we have to start somewhere there has to be something at the bottom but like do you not 
want her human flourishing? <laughs> like, is that is I, I'd wonder if there is any uh any Christian who'd be willing to say, you know what? No, I don't want humans to flourish. In fact, I know for a fact there are. I've talked to some of them on Twitter, probably the same ones who think that slavery is super cool. Uh, but if you and your interlocutor can agree on that standard, then you for the context of that conversation, then you could agree that morality is objective. Uh, Icarus says, if we as a society subjectively decide that a behavior is wrong, we can reject that behavior and punish people for that or exclude them from society. Right. So you could say that morality is uh, defined by the society. Basically, we all agree on it. Um, and if society were defined broadly enough, if like we managed to get like everybody together and agreed on it, then it might be functionally equivalent to an outside standard in terms of how we all uh, acted. Um goes on if he doesn't like being punished for subjective reasons he needs to argue why it's wrong to punish for subjective reasons that's a good point it's kind of assumed in the context of this that morality is objective i think he's just kind of assuming that his interlocutor is going to agree to that um and given that um he's going on from there uh and he's also assuming like you said that if morality was subjective in some way that that would reject it you know that that would mean it, it's not it is no longer applicable, which I don't think he is necessarily the case. I mean, uh, I think if we all agreed on a goal, then we can enforce the actions that get to us to that goal uh, just as consistently. Uh, but let's move on to he talks a little bit more about morality being subjective now and back up a little bit so I don't cut off his thing. OK. So here we go. Preference to steal your things or to abuse you. Unless there truly is an objective moral standard that we can appeal to to judge our disputes and to hold each other accountable to. And the fact that we have laws concedes this fact that this moral standard does exist. But So this is where uh, I'm going to have to push back a little bit harder on him. So before he was saying that... Uh, he was arguing against morality being subjective, and that's okay, maybe, maybe not. But he said there that the fact that we have laws concedes that there's this external standard. Well, no, it doesn't. It definitely doesn't. Because all laws are are the enshrining of the judgments of the people who had the power to enforce them. You know, uh, it's it sometimes those laws are explicitly just the preferences of a group. Uh, a group of nobles got together. They have all the swords and the money and they decided that uh, everyone's going to serve them and that's going to be the law. That doesn't mean that it's a just law. It doesn't mean that it's a, a law that we agree with, but that's the law and it didn't, you, you don't need anything other than you're being selfish for that. Right. Um, so yeah, just like we could have our, our framework that says this law is evil because it goes against the framework that we set up, the human flourishing or whatever framework we wanted. Uh, but the mere existence of laws doesn't concede any kind of supernatural or extra human uh, standard. Uh, so it's a good point. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, there's many people who think humans should not flourish. That's true. I try to avoid those people or what I've, what I've almost taken to doing when I'm on Twitter is like when I get one of these slavery or genocide apologists, it's one thing if the person wants to say, well, it was okay at the time or well, uh, you know, maybe it doesn't count or whatever. Like that's a discussion I can have even if I think they're wrong. But if they're just going to say, no, I think slavery is okay. Then my response is, oh, you're just a terrible person. Pound sand. Like, I don't know. I don't know how to tell you you have to care about human beings. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, just not worth my time. 
so anyway, going back to the law thing, having a law doesn't uh, concede that there's some kind of external standard. Now, you might want to appeal to that external standard as a way to get everybody on board with following these laws. You know, yeah, it's cool if Jordan says we should follow the law, but you know, it's even cooler if Cosmic Jordan, the creator of all things, says we should follow the law. Well, now I've got like an external, invisible, whatever telling you to follow it. That might be a, a reason to do that, but it doesn't necessarily concede it just by the nature of having laws. And you could get to the same kind of legal framework we have without talking about a supernatural, without a supernatural existing at all. If, for instance, we went with this goal-oriented uh, morality and we decided human flourishing, I'm just going to keep using that because it's you know an easy thing to, to tag. If we decided that that was the goal we had, and that's the goal I have, and I want to set up a society. Well, I can't force everybody, everybody on earth or everybody in my area to work towards that goal. So I get people together who agree with me. And maybe they already agreed. Maybe I had to convince them, whatever. But eventually I got a big crowd of people who all agree. And eventually that crowd is big enough that we have the force. We have the power now to make everyone else comply, right? So once we've got that amount of power, we can then say, okay, now these are the rules that will establish our goal of human flourishing as the goal for everybody. And this is going to make this goal come about. If you work against it, you're going to be punished in these ways to try to get you to do what we want. Um, and you can coerce people who disagree. Like that's all laws are, right? And then you've got the system we have. You've got a system of laws and you I didn't have to concede absolutely anything about there being an external source other than me. This is just the preference of me and everybody else around me, right? So the mere fact that we have laws definitely does not concede anything of the sort when it comes to the supernatural. All right, moving on. Uh, he's going to get into the is ought. Uh, what are the implications of that? What are we talking about? What are we allowing when we talk about morality? Well, morality can be described as a judgment against what ought to occur and what actually occurs. For example, if somebody abuses their wife, we would be correct in saying, you ought not to have done that. We're saying that the actions and decisions that led to that abuse were the wrong ones as compared to the right ones. Uh, yeah, so I think anybody on this stream is gonna agree. Ken Hoven might not agree, but you know, whatever. If you abuse your wife, that's wrong. Uh, so now we've translated, uh, uh, words now we've moved on to the second half of the video uh moving away from objective morality and now he's going to start talking about uh naturalism um i keep beating this horse but we don't need a supernatural standard to do what he just said we can say if all we have is goal-oriented morality we can also do the same thing the action you took goes against the goal of human flourishing therefore you ought to have done this other thing if we want to achieve X, you ought to have done X instead of Y. No supernatural required. Okay, moving on. We're evaluating what happened, in this case, the abuse, and we're comparing it to what ought to have happened, what should have happened, and saying that what actually happened should not have happened. It goes on a tangent, so we'll skip ahead a little bit. He just talks about how science talks about what did happen instead of what could have happened. Natural sciences as a method of inquiry cannot tell us anything about what ought to happen as compared to what actually happens. The natural sciences are... And then he talks about the natural sciences for a while. So while this is true as far as it goes, uh, because the natural, the natural sciences by which 
I again I take he's me he means like physics or chemistry or something. They're applying the laws of nature as they are to make predictions using some model. Um, and so that tells us what will happen, not what ought to have happened in some kind of vague way. But that depends on what you mean by ought. Again, if we're talking about uh, morality in terms of goals, then science could actually tell you what ought to have happened if you wanted to get that goal, right? Uh, are there unnatural sciences? Yes, there are definitely unnatural sciences. It's pseudoscience, like the Journal of Paranormal Research we found in uh, doing the ghost episode last time, which uh, I, I, it wasn't in the master's journals list, so it's not a real journal, but uh, it's probably not real journals don't have an, an unnatural sciences. So uh, yeah, so science could tell us what actions might go towards an objective. We could use scientific understanding, statistics, those sort of things to say, hey, if we have an objective to increase equity or increase human flourishing, then maybe what we ought to do are X, Y, and Z social policies that would roll back systemic racism or would stop police brutality of, of uh, minorities and things like that. It's, that would be science telling us what we ought to do if we want to accomplish X, right? Um, I think what he's trying to get at is that it doesn't tell us like uh, predictions of, of like a why, like uh, kind of a undergirding why, but then he doesn't argue for why science should be able to do that. Like what, why should there be a why, right? Uh, that's a, something that he has tend to assume that is the case, but I've yet to see anyone demonstrate that it does in fact need to be the case. Uh, yeah, so he talks about science for a while. Uh, then we're going to talk about free will. Oh, I'm an idiot. I forgot to actually show the uh, video. That would help. <laughs> so let's back up so you don't just watch me scratch my ear for 10 minutes. To inevitable, deterministic, fixed laws of the natural universe. But when a person behaves in ways that we don't like, we don't say, oh, he's just... He's just behaving according to the fixed laws of nature. No, we say he is responsible for those decisions because he is governed by more than those fixed laws. He has some agency and ability outside of those fixed laws and that he is free from those fixed laws to some degree. So this is not a ridiculous point. It kind of gets at uh, the issue of living in a deterministic universe and how that interacts with free will. Basically, he's saying that we would be inconsistent in condemning someone if we live in a deterministic universe. I think he's kind of conflating living in a deterministic universe with a natural one. Um, and you don't necessarily need to think that the universe is deterministic if it's not supernatural. But just I think the universe is probably deterministic in every way that matters. So we'll just let that slide. Um, it is true that if the universe is deterministic, then the, the reason, if you want to go back far enough that I'm doing this podcast right now and you find people are listening to me and commenting and stuff is the initial conditions of the universe and the laws of physics. If you go, if you want to be derivative, that, that derivative, right? But that I don't think that necessarily means that it's inconsistent for us to have rules and laws and punishments and and to say things like you ought to have done that again if we're talking about oughts in terms of goals we can still talk about what action could have what action 
would have supported the goal we wanted, even if it's not the action that actually happened, even if in some deterministic sense, it was never an action that could even could have happened, right? It's still not inconsistent for us to talk that way. And while we may not have libertarian free will, and libertarian free will means uh, kind of the, the, the classic idea that most people have when they think of free will. Free will, unencumbered by the laws of physics, the only thing that is leading to your decisions is what's in whatever is running your meat golem of a body, your soul or whatever, and that's what is free will. Um, we may not have that kind of libertarian free will, but we're still stuck living in the world that we find ourselves in. We're still stuck having to occupy this reality. And in this reality, we can do and say things that will influence the behaviors of those around us. Even if at a fundamental level, it's deterministic, it doesn't mean that we're inconsistent in taking these actions, right? So uh, then he just goes on to say that uh, if the universe, if if there is such a cause, outside the universe, then it shows that it cares about us and it's personal and it really cares who you stick your genitals in and all that sort of thing. So uh, that concludes like his argument. Um, basically, if their determinism is true, then uh, you can't have morality because morality talks about what ought to have happened, not what did happen. But that, of course, relies on accepting his definitions of oughts, which I don't think we should necessarily do. Um, and to begin with, he talked about um, objective morality and how that requires a, a standard outside of humans, which I don't agree with. I think that we can just agree on what a goal is. And in that context of that goal, we can have something that's objective. One I want to say it's homeschooler, but I don't know that's what that's what that's short for. So let me know if that's wrong. But uh, 14 billion years of atoms smashing onto each other, galaxies rising and falling, evolution, choosing speciation, et cetera, has led me to me typing this comment. Yes, that is exactly what uh, has led there. Uh, I often tell my children uh, that this moment is what all of life for billions of years has been building to. They've been building to this moment and also the next moment and also the next moment and also the next moment. Uh, yeah, so that's his moral argument. But uh, there was one more piece of the video that happened at the beginning that I thought was worth talking about because it it kind of uh, sets a stage for what he thinks justifies his Christianity. So we're going to flip back to uh, right at the beginning of the video before his intro, about two minutes, he talks about this. I said earlier that there are compelling atheistic arguments just as there are theistic arguments. But my experience of experimenting with and exploring the possibility of God's existence is what overwhelmingly tips the scales in that direction. Because my life has dramatically changed and I would say improved since I placed myself in a pattern according to Christian teaching. And by that, I don't mean that everything has gone my way since then or that God has answered everything according to the way that I've asked for in prayer. But I that's good. He's not saying that because I wouldn't believe him. So uh, his life has gotten better since he was a Christian and great. Good for him. I'm glad his life is going better. Um, and I'm actually going to differ from what some of my atheist compatriots would say and just tell him that that's complete nonsense, that like that shouldn't be factored into your decision making at all. Uh, because in the way that he goes into right here, I think it might be rational, but only in certain cer certain circumstances side of two compelling logical alternatives, shouldn't the one that promises a great deal of hope and even eternal life 
create enough incentive for you to start exploring it with more consequence than mere speculation. So that's the context in which I think his position might be reasonable. If you had two equal positions, if you if theism, specifically his Christian or Catholic theism, and atheism were equally weighted, the evidence could go either way, and there was basically all else is equal, then I think a rational argument can be made for going for the, the option that has the most benefit to you as long as it doesn't have significant costs, right? That if is like an Olympic champion weightlifter for the amount of weight that it's carrying because that, that if is doing a lot of work there uh he, he would need to show that they are in fact equally compelling and that's where i'm going to criticize the uh personal experience because i appreciate that he has a personal experience where becoming a christian has enriched his life religion does great things for a lot of people and that's you know i'm, I'm not being sarcastic when i say that's good for them uh Getting out of religion has been good for me. My life is much better since I left Christianity, and many atheists I know have similar experiences. So while I understand why his own personal experience would be more compelling to him, that in and of itself is not good evidence, right? Because other people have come to different conclusions, not just in outside of religion entirely, but in other competing and contradictory religions. And so if this same experience of having an enriched life, of feeling guidance, of, you know, feeling thankfulness or presence or whatever personal experience you want, um, if that same experience can lead to multiple conflicting conclusions, uh, then clearly it's not a good way to get to truth, right? Clearly, it, it's not uh, a good method to figure out what is actually true. And so uh, I think that it's a mistake for not just Christians, but for skeptics in general, to rely on personal testimony as a truth-seeking device. It's it's not that it's useless, because, I mean, there's a reason why it's compelling to the individual, right? But we should be aware that people, confirmation bias is a thing. It's a thing that we're all vulnerable to. And so when you find the evidence just so happening to line up with the thing you would like to be true, you should immediately be putting on the brakes and, you know, double checking your work to make sure that uh, the evidence is, in fact, what you would like it to be. Uh, so that is the end of the video. I don't want to keep you guys around for longer if I don't have anything useful to say. Uh, I I like the way he presents it. He's a very effective communicator, but I don't think the mere existence of morality is a good argument. He didn't really make this explicitly clear, but many other theists have definitely gone the appeal to consequences route and said things like, uh, if God isn't real, if there isn't objective morality, then uh, people you know, will get away with murder or you know, people will die and they'll, they'll have gotten away with it. They won't have been punished. And the answer to that is okay. I mean, I, I think that sucks too, but like, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't tell you anything. It just tells you you wouldn't like it. That doesn't tell you whether it's true, right? Uh, and we should make decisions based on what the evidence is. Um, so uh, that's the show. Looking forward to next week. Next Thursday, we are going to have another live stream uh, because we're going to have David Fitzgerald on. He is a mythicist author. He wrote uh, Nailed 
and he wrote uh, Jesus Mything in Action, which is a very clever title, even if I'm not sure the content is as clever. And so we're going to have him on, and Jared and I are going to grill him on his mythicist uh, conclusions and uh, see if we can get uh, some good discussion going on that topic. And then looking further past that towards Christmas, as we've been saying, I promise we are going to actually debunk uh, the Shroud of Turin this time. I don't know if we're going to do the same video or if we're going to find another video to go through. But instead of just like sniping it and basically making fun of it like we did last time, we're going to do our due diligence and we're actually going to look into the claims and see if they hold up. So look forward to that. Uh, but while you're waiting for that, remember, you've always got reason to doubt. And because Jared isn't here, I'll say it for him. Peace out.